Everybody good? Everybody good? Make it through the winter? This week was cold, y'all. Not complaining, just saying it was cold. It got cold. And, and on top of all that, y'all, I got jury duty this month. So, uh, but, uh, so I say this, like, I haven't had to serve one time yet. Like, I'm in the month of November, and this is what, November, what is today? 17th. So I'm over halfway there, over halfway there. So, you know, uh, I don't mind serving. I just haven't, haven't been called to. So, uh, so all good. Luke chapter 7, the next couple of weeks, I want us to uh, be laying the groundwork for our December 1st collection of our uh, gift for Jesus to the world. It's our annual missions offering. Missions, as you know, gosh, it's the most important thing in the world. It, it is our great commission. Of all the things that our church may do or not do, missions is the one thing that we must do. Uh, if we do nothing else, we must win souls, we must spread the gospel, we, we must plant churches, we must do all of these things. And all of these things take money, whether we're sending others or going ourselves. Everything costs money, you know that. And so the next couple of weeks, I want us to talk about money and missions, uh, which brings us to just a couple of questions. What will you give and who will you tell? Um, those are the important questions for your life, actually. Um, today's about money, um, but money's not just about money. Jesus himself said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So we talk about heart issues, and inevitably we're going to talk about money issues as well. So let's, let's talk about the heart. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 is where we'll begin. This is such a, such a good story. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, read with me. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus, say it, verse 40, say those words. Jesus answered his thoughts, <laughs> all right? He thought it. He didn't say it. He just thought it. But Jesus answers his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. So Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. That's the key point. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. So who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling there. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven so she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Men at the table said among themselves, who is this man goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
peace. Beautiful. I think you'd like Simon. I think I'd like Simon. Back in that day, Simon would be our kind of guy, would he not? He uh, was wealthy. I mean, what's not to like? He, he was wealthy and generous and hospitable. He had a big, fancy, nice home, and he was always inviting people in. Uh, you'd like that. He had big banquets like this one. Uh, lots of people invited in to sit at his table. In those days, in, in a wealthy home like Simon's, there would be, a, it would be open to the air, a, open porticos with columns, and people from outside could look in. So they would see what's happening, and so they would sit on the outside and watch the big banquet on the inside. You, you'd like Simon. He was really religious, which is why I think you'd like him so much. And he was a rule follower. Rule followers. So he knows the Old Testament, you know, backwards and forwards. He knows exactly what the law requires. And he's the kind of guy that always tries to do what's expected. He's a rule follower. He likes to enforce the rules. So he's probably going to notice when you step out of the rules, but, but may not say anything. That's another thing I think you'd like about Simon. He thinks stuff, but he doesn't say it out loud. Kind of the way you and I do sometimes. Like I think it, I think it, but I don't say it. In this particular instance, Simon has got a smile on his face. He's at the table with his guests. He's smiling and he's passing the gravy down the table and he's asking everybody if they want some iced tea. But in his head, he's thinking, that nasty woman is in my house. Right? I mean, you read this, right? That's what he's thinking. He's not saying it, but he's thinking it, that nasty woman. That nasty woman is in my house, and she is, you know, flopping that big mop of a head of hair around, and she crying like a fool, and down in the floor, that nasty woman up in my, I mean, that's what he's thinking. He doesn't say it, right? And that's what you got to appreciate. He's just thinking it. On the outside, he's smiling. He's smiling, and he's taking care of his guests, but in his head, he's thinking that nasty woman. He's also thinking, now, if Jesus, again, he's not saying it, he's just thinking it. If Jesus actually were a prophet, if Jesus were any kind of true prophet, he would know exactly what kind of woman she is. He would know what kind of woman that is with her hands and lips all over his feet. I mean, he would know who she is touching him, and he would not let that nasty woman, if he were any kind of prophet, that nasty woman. You understand? He's thinking that. If he were any kind of prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. But Jesus, being Jesus and being a true prophet, he answers his thoughts. Answers his thoughts. And he doesn't answer by revealing that he knows exactly what kind of woman that woman is. Instead, Jesus, being a true prophet, reveals that he knows exactly what kind of man Simon is. I was at the airport, uh, stuck, uh, plane was delayed, so uh, I was sitting next to a woman. Her name was Ingrid. That was her name. It was Ingrid. Um, just started talking to her, and uh, it became a gospel conversation. She found out I was a pastor, because that always comes out. Um, and so uh, we started talking about the Lord, and... Uh, she told me that her relationship with the Lord and with the church was complicated. So I just asked her to tell me a little bit about her story. And she told me a little bit about her story. Ingrid um, was a sheltered girl, grew up in a house where nobody had any kind of faith. So, you know, just, I mean, no belief, no faith, no religion of any kind. 
but sheltered. Um, she got married very, very young. Ingrid said that uh, she married the love of her life, just a, a boy, and, and uh, they got married very young, and he's the only man she had ever been with. Um, as his wife, um, she had 11 children. Ingrid had 11 children. I'd be on an airplane flying somewhere too. I, I, I can't. <laughs> Ingrid had 11 children. And, and the love of her life, he, he left her. He abandoned her. And so Ingrid said that she was just devastated and, and looking for a way to put her life back together. And so there was a church near her house, and she decided to go to the church. And so um, there was a ladies' Bible study that met during the week, and she went to that because it said all ladies invited. So, so she went to the ladies' Bible study because she was more comfortable with women anyway. And she said that you know, in, in the room of church ladies, all the ladies had their Bibles open you know, in their lap, and they had a study book, and they were all taking notes. They you know, really had it down well. And Inger was just listening. The, the leader of the group that day said, uh, asked the group, does anybody have a story to share of sin and forgiveness? Anybody have a story about sin and forgiveness? Because they were talking about sin and forgiveness. Ingrid said, a whole room full of church ladies and nobody said anything. Like They just sat there looking at their open Bibles and nobody had any story to tell. And so Ingrid said, well, I, I, I will share. I, I can tell you a story of sin and forgiveness. So Ingrid Ingrid said she started telling her story with the church ladies and she told them how she was a sheltered little girl who got married very young to the love of her life, the man of her dreams and uh, as his wife she had 11 children uh, and then he, uh, the love of her life abandoned her and Ingrid was in a room of women so she shared and she said he's the only man I'd ever been with in my whole life and when he abandoned me with our 11 children, he left me with multiple sexually transmitted diseases. So Ingrid told her story of sin and forgiveness. And when it was over, the room was silent and awkward. And the leader just sort of said, well, I, th I think our time is up. She dismissed with prayer. And then as the other women were filing out, she said, Ingrid, will you stay? I'd like to talk to you. So the other women all left and Ingrid and the leader were standing there and... Ingrid said that the leader said, uh, um, listen, I, think, I feel like I need to tell you, uh, it's probably going to be better if you don't come back. Ingrid said, why? What did I do? And the leader said, listen, these are good church women. They don't want to hear about your sexually transmitted diseases. Beware the church group. Beware the church group that doesn't really know how to hear a story of sin and forgiveness. But beware the church group. First off, in a room full of church women who don't have a story to tell, run. But there's something profoundly, profoundly broken with, with, with 
religious people who can't relate to a story of brokenness and forgiveness. So, the woman comes into Simon's banquet. Simon is there sitting at the table with Jesus, and Jesus is an invited guest. The woman is not invited. And she understands that, and she knows that. But, but the house is open, and she walks right through the columns and, and goes straight in with, with, with her alabaster bottle of perfume. She knows what everybody thinks about her. She knows how everybody thinks about her, but y'all, she doesn't care. I mean, today she does not care because there's only one person she's focused on, and that's Jesus. She knows he's there. Now, we don't know anything else about her story with Jesus, but, but she knows Jesus, and Jesus has changed her life. He's changed her life. Now, in the ancient world, People wore perfume. They had perfume. It wasn't that rare a thing. There were some perfumes that were very expensive. And this woman has a very, very rare and expensive bottle of perfume. But people wore perfume. In the ancient world, believe me, they needed it. They needed perfume. And so they would wear perfume. But, let me put this delicately, certain women use perfume more seriously. You understand? Like certain women... They used perfume professionally. They used it on their bodies to attract men and to make their bodies more alluring to men. And so understand, this woman has in her possession, this woman of very, very well-known and questionable reputation has in her possession a really, really nice bottle of perfume. So can you connect those dots without my having to connect those dots for you? And can you now understand what it must mean for her to walk into that room and pour that perfume out at Jesus' feet? He's changed her life. She doesn't need the perfume anymore. Do you understand? She doesn't need that anymore. That's not who she is anymore. She knows what everybody knows about her. She knows how everybody thinks about her, but she doesn't care because she knows what Jesus has done for her. Now, meanwhile, Simon's watching all of this happen, and Simon's seeing a nasty woman in my house with that mop of hair. She's flopping around, crying like a fool. And Jesus answers his thoughts and says, Simon, can I tell you something? Simon says, oh, please, please. Jesus tells him a story. Now, just a little hint. Whenever Jesus tells a story, it's going to be, like, you ever watch one of those cartoons like Tom and Jerry or something where, like, somebody runs around and they're standing there and all of a sudden, like, a piano drops on them? Like, like the piano falls out of the sky and just drops on their head? Like, anytime Jesus tells a story, somebody's going to get a piano dropped on their head. Every time. Every time. In this case, it's Simon. He don't know it yet. But the truth is about to fall on him like a piano. So Jesus says, Simon, there's something I'd like to say to you. And Simon says, oh, please, please. Jesus said, well, th there was this man, and, and he loaned money to two different people. Short little story. He loaned money to two people. One, he gave 500 pieces of silver, one 50. The idea is that they're vastly different amounts, but both loaned to two different people. And then here's the thing. When it was time to repay, neither of them could pay. That, that, that's the catch. Neither of them could pay back what they owed. So what did the master do? What did he do? 
He forgave it. He, he erased the debt. He just said, okay, consider it paid in full. And he let both people walk away free. And then Jesus just asked the question, uh, tell me, Simon, after that, which, which person do you think probably loved the master the most? Simon says, oh, well, certainly the one for whom the larger debt had been forgiven. And Jesus said, right, right. Uh, look at that woman. This woman loves Jesus. I mean, she loves Jesus. Because here's the thing. Real love for Jesus comes from knowing what Jesus has done for you. Real love comes from knowing what he's done for you. And and this woman knows that Jesus has changed her life. She knows what Jesus has done for her. She had a debt she could not pay. She could not forgive her own sins. She couldn't escape the guilt of her sins. She couldn't change her reputation. She couldn't change the way she lived her life. She knew what she was worth, and there's nothing she could do about it. She knew that she had a debt that she could not pay, and she knows that the master has forgiven her all of it. And so she loves Jesus. She has real love for Jesus. But understand, in the story, there are two people, two people. They don't exactly owe the same amount, but they both have a debt they can't pay. This real love for this Jesus from, from this woman comes to the fact that, that she knows what he's done for her. She knows full well what he's done for her. And, and the, the, the side note there, the, the, the piano that's falling out of the sky on Simon is just this recognition that he doesn't seem to love Jesus very much. Now, he's sitting with Jesus, make no mistake. When he has the big banquet party, he wants Jesus there. Apparently in Simon's social circles, in his religious circles, having Jesus there was somewhat important. And if something's expected, Simon's always going to do what's expected. He knows what's expected. So, so to have Jesus there, that's important. He, he wants Jesus in his vicinity, but he doesn't seem to have any real love for Jesus. You understand that? Even though, even though he also had a debt he could not pay, he doesn't understand that. He can see that woman's sin from a mile away in the fog, but he can't see the sin staring back to him with the man in the mirror. Real love for Jesus comes from an awareness of what he's done for you. Look at that woman, Jesus says. From the moment I walked in your house, she has not stopped kissing me. But now when I walked in your house, you didn't even greet me. Notice how Jesus starts just piling it up now. When I I walked in your house, at your house, you didn't greet me. You had no greeting for me. But now she's not stopped kissing my feet. When I walked into your house, you didn't pay the common courtesy of giving me olive oil for my head. And yet, and yet, she has anointed my feet with precious perfume. My feet. Simon, you didn't even offer me water to wash my feet. And and again, this is common courtesy. Jesus isn't saying you should have rolled out the red carpet. Jesus is just saying you should have treated me like a human. This is just what you did. But he says, Simon, you didn't do anything for me. From the moment I walked in, you've done nothing for me. And this woman has done everything for me. Understand, Simon was very, very happy to sit with Jesus, but he wasn't going to do anything to serve him. He'll sit with him, but he's not going to serve him. Now, you start to understand why I say that Simon's really our kind of guy. 
I mean, because honestly, some of us sitting with Jesus, like it's kind of what you probably think you're doing. Like you give Jesus an hour a week where you'll sit on a pew for him. But I mean, that's going to be it. I mean, don't really ask for anything more because this is like what I do. I, I sit, but I'm not serving. I mean, Jesus calls him out. I mean, this is a woman who's been at my feet. She's serving. She's greeting me. You've done nothing for me. Do you understand that incredible, painful irony of that? The worst part of all of it is he has the audacity to judge her, to criticize her. I'm telling you, you need to check your heart before you begin to criticize somebody who's doing more for Jesus than you are. I mean, he is criticizing her for weeping at Jesus' feet, criticizing her for pouring out that perfume at Jesus' feet. All he can do is sit there and smile and judge her in his heart. And I'm telling you, there's something profoundly wrong with somebody who can only criticize others who are just trying to serve Jesus, trying to do for Jesus. But it becomes easy for Simon to be that guy. There's something sort of delicious about just sitting back and keeping a smile on your face, but in your heart, in your heart. Nasty woman up in my house. Meanwhile, the woman takes this perfume, which would be the the, the sign of her old life, and she just pours it. That's not who she is anymore. Jesus has changed everything. Now, honestly, it was very expensive perfume, and this was probably not one of her best financial decisions. She she pours this out at at his feet. Now, now you you can ask, why why would she do that? Well, um, Let's just say this, if you've ever been around churches or paid a lot of attention to preachers, especially TV preachers, they have this old saying, especially when they're about to take up an offering, they'll always say, you can't outgive Jesus. You can't outgive Jesus. And, and, and this is correct, you can't outgive Jesus, but, but it, it's, it's correct, but not in the way a lot of those preachers use it. You know, their idea is like, the idea is like, you can't be more generous than he's going to be to you, to Jesus. So, you know, but put it in the plate, baby. Just put it in the plate. Think big, give big, because then you can't outgive Jesus. So if you give big, he'll have to get bigger. It's like this contest with Jesus where you just, you just give and you just give big and then you just watch him. Jesus is going to have to give even bigger to match you. It's just like this, this contest of, of who's more generous, you or Jesus, and you'll never outgive Jesus. Isn't that kind of the way the offering pitch goes? And, and a lot of that, of course, is, to, is for the preacher to get a big offering can't outgive Jesus. And so the idea is just to get people you know, thinking that maybe if I give a whole lot, then Jesus is going to owe me. Gonna have to get bigger. See, this is correct in the sense that you will never be more generous to Jesus than he's been to you, but it's incorrect if you think that he's ever gonna owe you anything. If you think that you're ever gonna get ahead of him, go back to the story Jesus tells. Both of these people have a debt that they cannot pay. So in your relationship with Jesus, You don't start out like where you write a check and then Jesus has to match it. No, no, no. You start out in a position of bottomless debt. Bottomless debt. 
you are absolutely 100% spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to give him and he owes you nothing. You owe him. It starts out this way and honestly, it never changes. Jesus is never gonna owe you anything. You owe him everything. So you can't outgive him because you will never be, never in your life will you be as generous to Jesus as he's already been to you. Do you understand? You can't outgive him. So when this woman comes and pours out this priceless, rare perfume at Jesus' feet, some people would say it's a waste. Some people would say she didn't have to do that. But the point is for her, it wasn't nearly enough. It was the best she could do. It's the most she could do. But it's just a drop in the bucket of what Jesus has done for her. You understand? When you consider what Jesus has done for you, it changes everything. It changes the way you think of everything. It changes the way you sit at the table, Simon. I mean, honestly, do you love Jesus? I know it sounds like a childish question, a Sunday school question, but I'm asking you, do you, do you love him? Because my guess is, if you really don't understand the, the debt of sin and forgiveness that he has paid for you, if you don't understand that, I don't believe you can love him. N- n- not with real love. I- I'm not sure you understand. I mean, you know what he's done for you. I mean, you have a story, right, about sin and forgiveness? I mean, you got a story that you could tell, right, about how Jesus changed your life? Because if you don't have a story like that, I'm worried for you. If you don't have a story of sin and forgiveness and how Jesus has has changed your life, how Jesus paid the debt that you could not pay, if you don't have a story like that, you need to meet Jesus. You need to know Jesus. But once you meet him and once you know him, it changes everything. So now when I stop and consider what he's done for me, and then I start to ask now, Concerning what he's given to me, what am I going to give? I mean, considering what he's done for me, what what am I going to do? Considering what he's done for me, I mean, who can I tell? Do you understand? I have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. If you really love Jesus. Pray with me. God, I can't do anything else. I've got to stop and pray for Ingrid. I don't know where she is. I don't know where that plane took her that day. I don't know about her 11 children. I don't know about the man who abandoned her. But I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you have revealed yourself to her in the most beautiful way and that you have paid that incredible debt of shame and guilt 
and sin that she has borne. I pray, Lord, that you have rewritten the story of her life. I pray that wherever she is, she's living a life of incredible gratitude and love for you, Jesus, because of the way you have blessed her life. I pray for the rest of us, Lord. Or some of us, Sunday after Sunday, are absolutely oblivious to the gospel, uh, oblivious to the grace that, that has saved us, Lord, uh, oblivious to the way that true grace is amazing because the debt that it erases is absolutely Absolutely one that we could never pay. Oh God, what you have done for us. Lord, the way you have made my black heart clean, Lord, it's, it's a debt that I can never repay, Lord. There's nothing I could do that would ever be enough. So Lord, I pray today that, that the Christians in the sound of my voice, Lord, that you will remind them. Remind them, Lord, where they were when you found them. Remind them, Lord, that the, the debt of sin and guilt, Lord, that was theirs, remind them, Lord, the grace that brought salvation to their souls. Well, Lord Jesus, until we understand what sinners we are, we can never know what a savior you are. And I pray for those in this house who truly don't know what a savior you are. Oh, Lord Jesus, let this be the day when they understand that you and you alone can pay the debt in full by your grace by the blood you shed on the cross you offer this salvation Lord as a, a gift for free we're not worthy of this oh Lord but we will spend the rest of our lives loving you serving you telling everybody who listen what a great savior you are nothing we could do would ever be enough so we pray these things and then Name of the Savior Jesus. Amen.